Welcome to the latest episode of Platform. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Wake Shepman. Wake pretty much grew up in front of the rollerblading community's eyes. The first time we saw him, he was just this tiny little kid with braces, skating razor skates. Um, we saw footage of him, yeah, at Woodward from when he was absolutely tiny. Um, and for a while, he was kind of associated with Denial and Adam Kilgore and those guys. Um, about 10 years or so ago, maybe nine years or so, he turned am for razors and had an introduction like an amateur introduction section and then he went off to join this company called reverse which i don't know too much about i just know damien wilson was involved somehow and i think it was basically one of these kind of shadow type skates or similar aesthetic but you could use it for like ice skating and quads and aggressive but they never came out and then Wake kind of disappeared for a couple of years. I know he went to do like mission work with his church in South America. I think it was in Uruguay. And then, yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure what he's been up to since then. He's been back for a couple of years, two or three years. And he's he appeared at the last powwow, I think, before coronavirus. And most recently, he has also won King of the North. So, yeah, loads to talk about. Him and his partner are also expecting a child, so he's due to become a father, so big life change on the horizon. I also know he was a part of Nitro Circus for a while. He was there on the, I think it was the Australian tour. So I want to talk to him about that and find out how he ended up getting on it and what it was like basically skating in front of all those crowds and with those guys. He's also responsible for landing, I think it was the first 1620 on inline skates. And he landed a massive bio as well. I think it was like a bio 1260 or 14 something. I don't know. Once once it goes past 720, I'm pretty much impossible with the numbers and can't keep up. But yeah, he's had a couple of big spinning tricks that have apparently been world's firsts. So yeah, just want to talk to him about that. Find out what he's doing with himself now, if he has any future blading plans, and yeah, just catch up because he's, you know, been around blading for quite a while and done some interesting things. Before that though, cue the music. How's it going? I'm good. I don't think I knew you wore glasses. Wear glasses for the computer. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's about it. <laughs> um, how you doing? It's it's morning time there, so you can't you can't have been up very long. Where is it? Utah? Is that right? Yeah, Utah. I mean, honestly, since I just had a baby, um, I'm I'm up at all hours of the night. So right. that's name of the game right now. That's what I was going to ask because I knew I knew you and your partner were expecting, but I didn't know I didn't know if you'd you'd welcomed a oh, child yeah. into the world yet. She, she's here, man. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. She actually uh, her one month birthday was last Thursday. All right. So not long at all. Okay. So you're in the you're in the very you're in the, the terror stage. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been cool though. It's been really cool. Um. So what's what's that been like? Because yeah, well, I suppose you've you've got quite a big family, and you'll have family around. So I'm I'm assuming that helps. Um, 
All right. So actually, I grew up on the East Coast of the United States. So most of actually, I have two younger brothers and um, from my mom and dad and then my dad and his new wife. I have another uh, two younger sisters and a brother. So, yeah, it's kind of a bigger family, but they're all on the East Coast still, Florida and Georgia. Um, My mom did follow me out here. Out to Utah, <laughs> she she heard there was a baby coming like last year. Sometimes she's like, "All right, I'm out." So yep. she followed me and my wife here. Uh, but all my wife's family is from Utah, and so we we have a lot of her family hanging out all the time. So I guess you, you might be able to see that. Good good support network that makes it easier because yeah, oh, yeah. dealing dealing with a newborn baby on your own is so scary. It's unreal. Yeah. Do you have kids? I've got a daughter who's six and the first She's she didn't six. she didn't sleep through the night for the first two years. And it was oh. I, there there were times there were times where I arrived at work and I was like, I don't know how I got here. I do not remember any of the car journey here. <laughs> like you were so tired. I've the drive, you're so tired, you're yep. just like, I don't even know what yeah. Oh, yeah, or I just walk into a room and I'd be like, Don't know what I don't know what I want in here. No idea why I'm in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I can yeah. I can very much uh, appreciate the the situation you might be in right now, but then it's it's different for everyone. Oh yeah, but some nights have honestly it's been awesome, dude. It's she she'll sleep three four hours and I'm, I wake up I'm like, dude, I'm ready to go for the day. And then <laughs> I mean last night was a was a rough one, man. It was I mean no. she didn't go to sleep till like four in the morning. So yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. And I normally get up around six seven o'clock okay yeah yeah Yeah, you you get lured into those false sense security because you're like oh they slept really well last night maybe we've maybe we've turned a corner maybe it's gonna get better and then it just it just nosedives (laughs) yeah i mean my wife were like are we doing something wrong like what what's going on I'm sure you, you know all those conversations. I mean, you, you probably are. We all are. That's that's the whole point. No one knows what they're doing. We're just we're no. just absolutely winging it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more congratulations in order because you recently won. What was it called? King of the North. Yeah, King of the North. Thank um, you. Yeah, I've cool. just seen the competition footage. I think it was only this week where with that gap into the bowl, and you you tried that a lot of times. Dude, I tried it like twenty times. That thing killed me. Yeah, there were some, there were some slams. I would have after a couple of those, I'd have been like, I'm done. Yeah, dude, I, I didn't, I didn't skate the week after. I, my, my knees were just all black and blue. <laughs> I, I tried to go skate, and I skated for like a half hour at the local here, and I was, I could just pump around the bowl, and I was like, yeah, my knee needs a little more time, dude. Yeah, um, but yeah, that. That trick was, it was one of those tricks, like, I saw it when I was watching the intermediate contest, and one of the bladers jumped, because you could jump over and kind of do, like, a spine transfer into the bowl, and it's, like, you know, five, ten-foot gap, depending on what part of the bowl, since it's, you know, it's it's shaped like a snowman, Um, but I was, like, I saw him go, and I was, like, he he's not going too fast if i if someone goes a little faster you can gap the whole bowl and i was as soon as i saw it i couldn't unsee it and i was like all right i'm, I'm gonna give it at least one try at the if, if i get all the way through in the contest 
I made it all the way through. And then towards the last couple minutes of the contest, I started trying it. The contest ended before I even landed it. And so, but I just kept trying it because it was just, you know, one of those tricks you just wanted to battle. And I said, I'm, I'm getting that trick today. Um, and yeah, didn't make it happen. Yeah. Those, some, <laughs> some of those first attempts, you were just running and med- like, the, I was like, this is wildly out of control. But then by the end, your legs were like perfectly together, hold, like holding the grab, just going over to it. And I was like, oh, he's, he's controlling these now. But the first few could have gone so much worse <laughs> I, I think it was my my second one was the worst like the first one was actually really close but then i it's all like since i'm landing in the quarter i was thinking if i go higher you know it won't be as much of an impact but that how it shot me was i totally went up and missed the training at all i just went straight up and hit the flat and that was by far the worst one i thought i was toast and that's when i was you know running yeah. I did a few of those actually. Right. Yeah. Has anyone ever done that before? And at that park? Not at that park. Mm-mm. Right. And they were like, dude, that's the biggest thing I've ever seen at this park. It was so funny. One of the the locals from the park, um, I don't know if he skateboards or BMXs, but he came back because he worked at the front desk of the skate park. He came back after the contest and he's like, yo, I got to show you this clip. It was the funniest view of it it was security footage from the skate park all right okay and it, sh- and it, it was super funny for me but he's like dude that's the biggest gap at the skate park and i was pretty pumped on that yeah i mean yeah for like, i love doing big gaps plus yeah imagine from like security camera footage it would give it even more perspective <laughs> and you can be like wow that's that's quite far <laughs> yeah no it was it was wild it, yeah. it was it was kind of stupid but i did it so I mean, you can pretty much say that about any trick in rollerblading. Like, if you get broke off, oh, yeah. you, like someone's like, "Sorry, you what? You broke your arm doing what?" And then you try to describe <laughs> it to them, and you're like, "You're an idiot. Why are you? What are you doing?" So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, is that so? When was the last competition you like attended? Before that, was it powwow? Maybe it was powwow like two years ago. Um, because i actually my dog's went, just eating incredibly loud things right next to the computer just to add his own sound oh, effect. I can't even hear him. um it was um, yeah all i had was that in, in the side so sorry you were uh, saying uh powwow yeah 20 what 2019 the last powwow that they had um, right and a month before that was the previous king of the north um, well, at least at the skate park. I know they had a King of the North last year, but it was a street contest. Yeah. And sometime in the summer. But yeah, it was powwow. Um, what was that like? Because that was like, that that was the event that the, the guy at the Kona was like, right, happen. you guys need to, we're not letting anyone else in. Don't share on social media you're here. Oh, like, it was so weird. Yeah. What, um, what was the atmosphere like at the skate park? Because it must have been, it must have changed pretty quick. Well, it changed day to day. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, let, let me jump back. It was, um, I had brought at the time, well, at the time she was my girlfriend, my wife now, and it was going to be her first contest to, you know, come and see me skate, whatever. And um, I went and visited family out in Florida. We drive up a couple hours up north to Jacksonville, Florida, because I, I flew into Orlando where all my family's at. And I remember we get there and um, 
Blake, the, the guy that was running the contest, and you know the people at Kona were saying they exactly what you said. Do not post on social media. You are not here uh, because the city had knew that there was an event, and they told them if there's more than I don't know. Originally, it was like if there's more than 250 people, then what we're shutting it down, or Kona might get fined, something along those lines. Uh, but the atmosphere itself was definitely weird because you could tell a lot of people had invited other people and then the the contest owner and also the skate park um, owner. From what I remember, they said you can bring like one person with you for all the contestants because they had, you know, the registration list of 100 to 150 skaters, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, it was it was weird. And but it changed the next day as well from. You can invite people to no one's coming and yeah and i remember getting emails from back i was working at woodward out here in utah right and it went from like hey we're shutting down for a week and then the next couple hours they're like oh we're shutting down indefinitely so it was it was like right when covid made it big like push was over that weekend it was so weird yeah were people like starting to get nervous at the event being like or or was it still not really did people not really understand what was happening yeah i don't think anyone not that people didn't care um, yeah i just we just didn't know we're just like i we don't really get what's happening i think everyone's gonna be all right but the contest <laughs> went down and i mean it was a wild contest dude. It, okay. it was pretty wild um yes yeah that's pretty crazy i didn't realize there was a woodward in utah i don't know why they just all right so they were I moved out here and then they were starting to build it. Well, they had been building for a while, but it opened December of 2019. So okay. right before COVID hit. Ah, right. Okay. Right. Uh, it's makes, in, um, it's called Woodward Park City. And that name does actually sound familiar. No, okay. It's similar to their uh, Woodward Tahoe's and the Woodward Copper. It where it's the indoor mega ramp to a foam pit. And then they have, you know, a concrete skate park and some other features like a pump track. And they have a whole gymnastics gym. It's pretty tight. Nice. Honestly. So yeah. as I'm guessing it's opened back up again now. Yeah. Or no. Oh yeah. No, it's, it opened back up. Um, probably that into the summertime, but I had moved down to Southern Utah, which is about five hours away. Right. So I wasn't working there anymore. Ah, uh, that's what that was going to be my next question. Are you still working there now? Okay, so what no. what, what were you doing at Woodward? Uh, originally, so I just you know a lot of life background, but I came to Utah to go to school and just to you know be with a lot of friends I had made on uh, before that. I was on like a mission trip down in South America, and a lot of my friends were out here in Utah. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna go hang out with them, go to school, kind of figure life out. And um, Joe, Joe Velasquez and Pam and Richie Velasquez, they were like, hey, they're building a Woodward. You should go coach and just skate and figure things out. And I was like, okay, um, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go do that. Yeah. So I remember showing up and they were just in the building stages. And my dad grew up you know, working construction his whole life. And I would always go and help him on all the project, side projects that he was doing. And I was like, I'll, I'll come help. I mean, just as not building the ramps themselves, but, you know, as the gopher, go get the tools, go 
get the wood, go lift everything and clean everything up. And so I did that for two months and then started as a coach. And it was awesome because what I saw was a lot of the skiers, uh, they cross train with rollerblading and man, these, it's such a different style. I mean, you've, you've seen, uh, I mean, with uh, the closest pro that has that type of style is like Roman Abrat. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's quite interesting that you say that because I've just been watching the Winter Olympics and I was watching the, um, the like I don't know what you'd Do call you it. See the twenty one sixty. Yeah, like the free ski vert, and they're just doing the. I think that's what it's called, free skiing vert, something like that. And I was watching it with my partner, and she's like looking at it, and then looking, at it and she's like, "This is so boring." She's like, "All they do, <laughs> all they do is go up in the air and spin." She's like, "I can't tell any of these apart," and I was like, "That." it's quite interesting because that's what rollerblading used to get a hard time for like oh rollerbladers they just throw themselves in there and spin like you can't tell the difference between them and i'm like but that's literally all that's literally all like free skiing is just going in the air and rotating and i'm like so oh, yeah and skiing's huge but yeah so weird side note yeah but no it, it's, it definitely yeah, seems transferable i can understand why they would train on like mega ramps and stuff like that yeah, no, they that that setup of the mega ramp to the foam pit. Um, I mean, you can get triples, flips, and all sorts of uh, different quirks and anything like that. And it was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Made a lot of good relationships there, and uh, got. It was fun to see a lot of people just from skating. You know, just being in the environment. A lot of them bought rollerblades, and okay. you know, and it, it was a lot of fun to kind of build a, a group that they would rent the rollerblades and then they loved it so much that they just developed, you know, obviously a new love for the sport. Yeah. It's cool. So is there any, like the, are there like any of the big free skiers or like Olympic free skiers or do any of them go to Woodward to rollerblade or is it, or, or like, are there any like notable professional skiers that go there on the off season to train that you know about? Um, I couldn't name any. I don't follow yeah. skiing that I mean, heavily. So you, you, you could tell I me know the names. They, I wouldn't know who they are, but yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, there's a few rollerbladers that are skiers that could name some people that were there. I don't right. remember, you know, their names. It was cool that some teams, like I remember a, um, a team from Chile, uh, Australia, like a whole ski team. And obviously the, they have the U.S. team that was always training there for the juniors and the actual u.s team it was really interesting you'd see all crazy amounts of talent nice have you ever been have, have they ever tried to be like have they seen you on on the ramp or on the mega ramp and being like we need to get a pair of skis in your feet we need to get you need oh get you, that get you was always the conversation and funny enough i had never skied in my life i grew up snowboarding right and, and on the east coast and i mean the, the difference between the mountains on the East coast to the West coast is night and day. And, and um, just because of how big they are and uh, right. just the level is different, but I always snowboarded, but one of my buddies who um, was a rollerblader, Mitch Zizlewski, he got some skis on my feet and I went out skiing for I probably only skied like two or three times, but it was awesome. It's very similar, but so different. It is. It's weird. Yeah. It's yeah. There's certain things that are so much easier on skis, but then other like like stopping. Stopping just feels like doing a, a set slide, but like 
a much safer cess slide, like a forgiving cess oh, yeah. slide that you can just lean into it as much as you want and not worry about the bite point. But things like turning and just like navigating the skis, you're like, these are so heavy and so long. And the first couple Slow. of times, yeah, I was tripping <laughs> over them all of like just I would just go across over my feet and just like eat it basically. Um yeah. so yeah, there's there's definitely transferable elements. Um so are you are you in like higher education now or college or university or what what are you doing now if you're not working at uh, Woodward? So what I did is I came out to Utah and I went to what's called the LDS Business College because um, I had started freelance marketing in you know a small agency of sorts where I would you know run a lot of paid social media ads for Facebook, Instagram. And, you know, Google ads, I started that when I got home from South America, because I, I had this marketing bug from helping, you know, different things in rollerblading with, you know, promotional things, sponsorships, you know, my personal brand as well. And I was like, I feel like I could really contribute to people's brands and companies. So I started my uh, marketing deal. But then when I came out to Utah, I went to school, I got my associate's degree in business management. Um, and as fun as school was, I that wasn't my favorite thing. And right. um, I learned a lot, made so many great connections. But I also noticed I was making more connections and learning. I was learning different things outside of school from okay. just, you know, different courses, different people, and coaches, whatever you want to call them. So I'm now I'm no longer going to school and I'm very happy about it. <laughs> but I've just been working in this marketing world and it's just led me from one project to another. And I'm at um, the company doing stuff full time and doing some freelance work on the side. All right. Nice. Um yeah, so yeah, you mentioned South America because I remember you you ended up you were doing like mission work for your church for like was it two yeah. years was it two years or something like that two, yeah uruguay two is that right that's right yeah yeah i was so, down in south america yeah what's the question uh, yeah so i was just gonna say yeah what were you doing down there and what was that like because that must have been that must have been quite because i know i remember seeing the video you made before you went and you were like oh god like i'm gonna need to speak spanish down there i, I can't speak spanish <laughs> this is gonna be bad <laughs> i there's not many like words or phrases that describe it, but life-changing, um, just pure, like inspirational, uh, the perspectives that I gained, I, there's nowhere else I could have gained them. But my, my decision was, you know, I grew up in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I always, you know, you know, I always thought church was cool and I knew it was a good thing. I love Jesus. But it, skating was the focus always. And I just noticed some things in my life I wanted to change. And I, it's pretty, it's traditional and normal for anyone from like, you know, the, right out of high school, 18 years old to, you know, 25, 26 years old for to go on a mission trip and serve the people. And that ranges from sharing things about Jesus Christ to, helping them build houses and do different projects in the community. I mean, you, you name it, there's anything and everything was done, but it was 
two years solely dedicated to that day in, day out. Um, waking up at six o'clock every morning, doing a morning routine, studying the, the scriptures, going out, walking the streets and, and sharing a, a, the best message in the world, in my opinion, about Jesus Christ. It was so fun. Um, very hard, by far one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That sounds quite, so you were, you were basically intense. just spending all the time on the street, essentially canvassing mm-hmm. for a re- religion. That sounds, that sounds quite like draining. Dude, it, it was intense. Um, and, and you always have, you know, your homie with you. And so you always go out in twos just like at safety. Cause I mean, anything and everything, I mean, South America, is kind of a crazy spot. Uruguay was very safe for the most part. Some things would happen here and there. Um, one of our houses did get robbed. So they like stole pr- pretty much like half of everything I owned, which was sad, but uh, things like that did happen. So you're always out with your homie, which is cool. You had, you know, a buddy that you could talk to throughout the day and help you, you know, share messages. But like you're saying with Spanish, I failed Spanish in high school. And I was, you know, not ever worried about it. So when I got this, this mission call to go to South America, I, I was like, cool. Um, I guess I'm just going to learn it. And so many different instances where I botched all these words, people were laughing in my face and it was funny, you know, but then over time I was able to, you know, become fluent and pretty much say, and talk about anything that I wanted to. It was it was awesome. The transition was unreal and um, definitely wasn't just by my hand. It was by the grace of God and mercy that I was able to learn this language <laughs> and like develop the skills and uh, be able to communicate with people. I was going to say it was a were you in like a kind of city setting or was it quite rural? Were, were like the local people? speaking English or was it mainly like they were like, no, if you don't speak our language, we can't talk. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was always changing. I, I, I was in what you could say five different cities. So every, you know, three to six months, you normally, you, you, you know, um, go through changes with different uh, other missionaries in wherever you're located and, you know, different cities. So our, our mission was folk, uh, focused on more the east coast of Uruguay because there was another mission on the west. And I, I was in the main city of Montevideo for about nine months. And, but I went to some of the rural areas uh, on the border of Brazil. It's out there. They call them departments. And there's a place called Artigas. So it was really interesting it was towards the beginning of my mission they had this weird dialect going on where it it wasn't good spanish and it wasn't good portuguese it was a mix of both of them so as i'm learning spanish i was like what are these people saying and then if you take that dialect and go down you know to the main city people are like what are you talking about because it has this like portuguese influence and it was very funny um to always get tossed back and forth between that yeah but yeah, uh, okay. I, I was able to serve in places of the main city and then places where you're walking on, you know, dirt roads. There's no city at all. Very yeah. country. Yeah, that must have been, yeah, 
definitely an eye-opening experience. Were there other people that went? Were they like other Americans or was it people from around the world? Like All who? over. Okay. It was, um, I would say probably 50% were from the United States, uh, both men and women. And then I'm trying to think, I don't know about percentages, but a lot of them were from South America too. They're from Peru, uh, Colombia, Chile, Argentina, some from Brazil. So it was cool. I mean, not only do the people of Uruguay you get to learn about, but you get to hang out with all these other missionaries from different cultures. And when you hang out with them, you know, all day, you get to know them pretty well. Yeah. And their families and how they grew up. And I, I loved it. Hearing the stories and how people, you know, or why people acted how they did and what, what they do day in, day out was one of my favorite things. And I've carried that with me after trying to understand you know what people are about absolutely love it that's very cool nice so and you didn't you didn't take your skates with you i remember you or did you in the end i did you did i did <laughs> did, did you have much like free time like when you weren't yeah doing, got, doing work for the church no um i didn't have a lot of free time at once a week we'd have like a they call it like a preparation day you go out you know it'd be like meal prepping for the week and you know planning out you know cleaning the house doing different things because a lot of times we were just dedicated hanging out with people and trying to help people throughout the rest of the week. But, you know, we got a little time. We could go play basketball. I mean, actually, most of the time we played soccer or football. Um, and there wasn't literally any skate parks in Uruguay. There was maybe, like, there was two and then street spots, like, non-existent in a lot of places. Some, like, in the city, there was yeah. a few things. Um yeah, but then imagine again, if you're if you're out in the countryside, yeah, there's not there's not going to be a lot of like perfect nothing. concrete and asphalt and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing at all. Um, but I I brought my skates, you know, because I had you know the, I believe that everyone in this world, everyone has different and talents that they can share with people, and I believe that you know I've been blessed with the gift of being able to rollerblade okay and being able to share that with people and inspire people to uh do more in a sense and be able to you know uh, express themselves in different ways i brought my skates and whether i was going to use them or not i i didn't set the expectation because if i didn't then no big deal if i did awesome the place up near brazil they it was like the best skate park in all of Uruguay, and i happened to be in that city and really something really cool happened where um, one of the church leaders of that area uh, saw some of my videos and right. was like, we need to have a, like a youth centered um, like event around this. And what ended up happening is me and another missionary who's a professional beatboxer, we ended up putting on a show for the whole city and it was the coolest thing. I mean, I did a lot of things from um, my show, like show days of, you know, flipping over people doing little funny skits here and there. And we performed the show and it was really cool just to show people. Cause a lot of times people, you know, they'll see a missionary from the church and they're, you know, the white shirt and tie. And they just think those guys do not have a life. They must be the weirdest people on earth, but everyone's got their story. Everyone's got, you know, different things. And it was fun to show people that. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm I'm not a religious person. And like yeah. you said, like if someone just approached you and said, I want to talk to you about God, I'd be like, oh, not today. Yeah. But if like you went to a skate park and this guy just put on like an incredible show and then just went, you know, as a side note, here's just like a little story I want to tell you. You'd be like, whoa, that guy's like insanely good. At- <laughs> so that, that would come as like a more, um, I don't know, appetizing package as opposed to just a stranger coming up to you in the street and going, let me talk to you about something. You go, nah, not so much. So yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I imagine the local kids would have been like hyped on that because they'd just be like, who the hell is this random white guy and how did he get so good at this? Exactly. Um, and I mean, the skate park definitely was uh, interesting, but it was cool. It like, the community was so welcoming. That was something I absolutely loved about South America and Uruguay specifically is how much love the people had. They were pumped on anything. It was right. such an, such an awesome opportunity. So yeah. I skated a few times up there. Maybe I probably skated less than 10 times over that, that, that two year stint. Okay. Um, that's more than I was expecting. Okay. 10 yeah. times, 10 times in two years. That's not, yeah, it's not that bad i mean yeah 20 30 minute sessions you know yeah not a lot but it was it it was nice when i got to skate it was really fun yeah from doing such intense intensive work to then having that kind of release would yeah must have been good oh it was cool really good um and before that before that you were on nitro circus is that right you did the was it the australia tour or i i was on nitro for how long was it four and a half it was about four years. Oh, and right. That's way longer than I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, for some reason, I just thought you'd done like a couple of seasons. Four years, a lot. Okay. So yeah. how did you... I started when I was 16. Right. How, how did that come about? Well, that's, that's another crazy um, story. It's kind of loaded. It's it's fun story. Um, so I'll take you back. My, my family, I was living in Pennsylvania. So Northeast area of the United States. And some family things happened. And unfortunately, we had to, you know, move away from our home. And we had to go back down to Florida, where all my dad's family's from. We were living with uh, my grandparents for a little bit. And I, at that time, this is when there were some things happening with Razors. Because I was on the Razors team. And uh, I was trying to do more projects. But one thing led to another. And we had some disagreements, I guess you could say. So we split, split ways. And I remember feeling, you know, 16, I was like, what, what am I doing? Um, you know, I just lost my, you know, well, I quit my, my main skate sponsor. I'm not really sure what direction I'm going to go. And I'm, I kid you not. It was within a couple days of quitting razors that nitro circus had called. And it was, it was one of the athlete managers, the background to that is Happy had been on Nitro since day one. Yeah. And they they absolutely loved Chris. Chris set such a good environment for rollerbladers in Nitro Circus. It was amazing to jump in with him there and being able to perform. But they loved Chris so much and they wanted him to do more. And they realized, oh, well, we need more rollerblading in the show. So they brought some... I knew they tossed around some names, but they called me and I grew up watching a TV show and I've, I've obviously met Chris at contests and things like that, but I didn't know Chris very well. Um, 
And that summer before is when I threw that 1620 on the, the Woodward East mini mega ramp. But I just did that just to, just to do it. Simple as that. It, like no expectations there. And with Chris's recommendation and them seeing that, they said, hey, Wake, uh, you're going to come out to California. We'd love to have you. And just come test out the ramp. Let's see what you can do. I was like, dude, I'm there. So I go out to Cali. And obviously the biggest ramp I've ever, ever been on. And there's nothing like it. Any other mega ramp is so different. And so I just remember standing at the top talking with Chris. And he was like, yeah, most people buckle because there's some the, the G-forces at the bottom. And I was like, dang, man. Um, all right. So I just I sent it. And it, I got a little squirrely on the bottom the first run, but I made it. And I think we were running, this is before the whole airbag scene came came to life. You know, we were, it was just like a nasty old foam pit. Um, and that weekend was amazing. Lear like Learned a whole bunch of tricks, threw a whole bunch. And I went home and I was able to make great connections with just the people there. David, can you still hear me? You, yeah, man. Sorry, bit. I was just I was just listening to the story. Sorry. Um, oh, have I froze? No, I've not froze. Sorry. No, you're, 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 you're back now. It might it might be my it sometimes happens with some of the meetings, but um, no. So, <laughs> all right. So yeah, so the can first I, the first time on the ramp went well. Oh, first time was amazing. The whole weekend was so sick. But I go home, and uh, I remember. They said, hey, we'll reach out to you uh, in a couple weeks if anything happens. And two weeks later, they said, all right, pack your bags. You're coming to Europe with us. And I was like, no way. And I'm 16. I was like, I had never been to Europe or anything like that. And I was pumped out of my mind. Yeah. My parents were super happy for me. I mean, anyone in, in the circle was just pumped out of their mind. So I show up. Was and, it sorry? Was it just you that got to go, or did they did they take any other rollerbladers? Like, was it just you and Chris? Just me and Chris. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and so I I signed the contract for the whole tour, and ran the, that. That was my first tour, and obviously it was definitely to test. I know they had had other rollerbladers on for like a show here, show there, but I don't know if they ever had anyone for a full tour with Chris. And they, it, just like any show. It's like a progressing show. They're not going to go back to the same city and do the exact same show. So if it was the second or third time, that's when I would come out and, you know, there's two rollerbladers now. We can do double the fun. And they had all these different elements, not just – I wasn't just a new person there, you know. There was a lot of other athletes and different crazy um, contraptions that they pushed down the ramp and whatnot. Yeah, that's what I was so, going to ask because they had Chris doing like shopping carts and jumping off BMXs and doing all sorts of. So did they did they get you to do any of that stuff? Because that oh yeah, that, that adds a whole new like level of terror to proceedings. It was terrible. Like so, that's exactly what happened. They're like, okay, since you know you're here, yeah, obviously you're going to do your jumps um, with your double flips, sixteen twenty, all that jazz. Um, I probably did between that first try, I probably did between five to 10 jumps, which is a lot on that ramp. I mean, the, the, just the stairs alone, there's feels, it feels like there's over a hundred stairs to get to the top of the ramp and we would be booking it. You land and then you book it back up to the top of the ramp. 
So you're exhausted by the time you get up there. But eventually, I think I can't remember exactly what contraptions. I know I was doing the shopping cart because they had a sponsor for beef jerky. And I would run down the ramp with the shopping cart full of beef jerky, launch, and most a lot of it would fly out. But if I made it to the bottom successfully, then we'd throw the jerk, beef jerky out into the crowd. Um, but dude, it was what was sketchy is the shopping cart would change almost every show. And yeah, <laughs> yeah that, it was, that, that's my main concern. Like, what if, like, you know, going down on skates, if you're competent, is yeah, it, it can start to feel safer because I don't know, you know what you're doing. But a shopping cart is such an unknown, unpredictable entity. Like, what's stopping it? Just, I don't know, a wheel catching? Are you just face planting into like the transition at the bottom? Or like, did did anything like that ever happen with any of those things? Yeah. With like any other rider? Because it just seems yeah yeah the only two times i ever didn't make it over into the landing was because of the shopping cart so what happens is obviously you need a certain amount of speed just like any gap you're doing but the if we figured out that you have to zip lock the the inside of the like the hub to like the frame of the shopping cart so the wheel can freely spin but that it stays straight at least on the front wheels, because if they start spinning, kills all your speed. That's what happened to me. And I literally made, I launched and I, I saw I was not going to make it. So I, I did like, I pushed over, I think, well, I don't even know what you call it. Like a Kong. Like I pushed over the shopping cart oh, and right, made okay, yeah. the, the, on the back side of the landing. Cause you have the lander. They had this airbag just in case if people did hit it. I hit like the last foot and it just bounced off to the ground. It was, it was scary, but I was, I was fine. Okay. And that, that same exact thing happened, you know, a few shows later and we, you know, we learned over time, Oh, you got to zip lock the wheels. That makes sense. And it was always stuff you were learning. The, the nitro world was very crazy. Yeah. I always kind of see. Fun. I always thought they had like a special shopping cart or something set up, but like I don't know, oh, good no. bearings or something, or like you know, good polyurethane wheels or something. Like I didn't realize it was like, oh no, it's a literal shopping cart. I thought they modified it somehow. No, eventually, I'm trying. I think in future tours, it was a it was a permanent shopping cart. But yeah, sometimes it was just oh, the arena has the shopping cart here, and you know, I might be embellishing a little bit, but it. It literally, it felt like that. And it, it was funny. It, it, it added to it, at least for me. The crowd has no idea. It's just a random shopping cart. But yeah, there's a random shopping cart a lot of times. Yeah, that's, that's, that's more jeopardy <laughs> than, than I'd be comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I did sense like that. Because um, then they, you know, they had Chris doing other things as well. But yeah, the, the contraption side was definitely pretty wild. Okay. So what, like how many shows did you guys do a week? Were you doing like five, five, I don't know, five days a week or was it not as much as that? Or how did, how did that work? Yeah. I, if I could average it, it was, you know, the, the tour was for about a month and a half, two months. And we did between, we did around 30 shows per tour. So it was almost daily. Um, right. And, but a lot of times like we would show up, I remember the Europe tour, it would be like four days on three days off and whether we're traveling, sometimes it was show day off show day off, or it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows. And then 
we had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off because of traveling to different cities. Yeah. Um, it's crazy yeah. that they can set up that much stuff in such a like, quick period of time. I always thought that you would get, I don't know, a few days off between each one because they'd have to go to the, the new city or country or whatever it is set up and you're like oh this buys me some time to you know recover or whatever <laughs> but yeah that, that, that was always so there's a couple of things there that how they set it up was so impressive um for a while it was the largest traveling show in the world and what do you mean for a while it, what's what's the largest traveling show now no idea i thought you knew they, of one that was bigger <laughs> no i just I, I knew then because there was that they they had said it then and there were so many athletes so many people for management and also the track crew to set it up it took between i mean i know at least 50 maybe to 100 people to set up that ramp in the same day and as soon as the show was done they took it down that night um you know there's logistical things with renting an arena yeah um, yeah I'm yeah sure, you don't you don't want to be paying you know, for it if there's no one there yeah that makes sense you don't want to pay for it for another day things like that so they put it up i, I don't even remember how long i remember watching running a time lapse one time it was so impressive but they took that thing down like that it was uh the ramp itself is all built on scaffolding you know what, what they had put out like on the outside of you know building buildings and whatnot that's what they set it up and then they just have all their slatted you know skate light framed pieces and I'm trying to remember if they're eight foot sections like five by eight sections or four by eight whatever five by twelve skate lights different size than normal plywood and they would just pop in all their sections and you know, it, was, it was crazy okay and what was what was tour life like for a 16 year old on tour with i imagine most of the other athletes were significantly older than you i'd imagine it was all guys in their between 20 like mid 20s 20s to 20s up to 30s yeah, m most guys were, and this is what really surprised me. Um, and this kind of takes, goes back into the history of Nitro Circus. It started with the family, or two families here in Utah. And um, a lot of people know that the Godfrey family, and they, they're just a wicked amount of talent. They, there's so many of them with, you know, between all their family members. And a few of them, like quite a few of them were on the tour and for example greg godfrey who was one of the originators his son was on tour and we were like the same age right. uh, he was doing a lot of you know like mountain bike and contraptions with um like the small bike and the small like the the, the tricycle the plastic ones that, you know that, that kids ride around on um the, they call them trikes but there was him and then one you know two of his cousins uh and they were all three, all four of us were pretty much the same age. And that was a lot of fun because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times everyone goes to the club, everyone goes to the party. That's what I was going to say. What, I, what was the dynamic like? Because obviously you're a little kid. Well, not yeah. a little kid, but like you're, you're a teenager and you can't even legally go to most of these six, places. Yeah. yeah. Um, and unless it was a private event from Nitro Circus themselves, then obviously I most, most of the time wasn't able to go. Um, and I was still doing school. I was in high school, but I was all online. And so a lot of times that first tour um, was performing shows, doing school, and trying to do experience as much of the city and whatever else there was. And for me, it was amazing. And a lot of those guys were 
on Nitro Circus. Honestly, the, the environment was a very family oriented and very uh, like caring environment. Everyone had such a high level of respect for each other because of you know what we were performing and doing, and the the unit the family unit definitely existed. It was very inviting and welcoming. Obviously, there was expectations. You know, high high love, high expectations of people, um, and it was just an interesting dynamic because you would think oh these guys have got to be the gnarliest of partiers and you know so, so some are crazy partiers man uh, i won't take that away from them um and do i know everything they did absolutely not um <laughs> but i, I <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i was like things. wake give me the gossip what happens when they're not trying to kill themselves tell me the gory details but yeah yeah and uh, a lot of that's you know there's stories to share but uh, there was a lot of crazy things that did happen. Um, but for the most part, everyone was, you know, out of jail and, you know, not, not getting into too much trouble with anything. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like, how did that change over? Cause obviously if you did it for four years, when you started, you were a teenager, but by the time you finished, you're basically a legal adult and you can go to bars and clubs with the guys or yeah. hell, if you're doing it in Europe and Australia, you can go to the bars and clubs from like 18. So like how how did that change your experience of being on tour because it's you know, i imagine it would still be quite intense as a teenager but if you're also burning the candle at both ends when you get older and you're i don't know staying up late or whatever and then you've still got a show to do like that's how how did that how did you manage that or how did it change over the years yeah i i guess a, an answer to that would be I had performed on other show teams and my focus was always to, you know, my, my, I, I was hired and I was, I'm there to perform a job to put on the best show I possibly can. And, you know, bring this joy and happiness to people about the crazy tricks that we do. That's priority number one above all else. Um, anything from partying to experiencing the city that comes, you know, as a bonus, so that, that, that was always my perspective. And I, I, I'd always believed it for like smoking, drinking or anything of that nature. If it wasn't going to help me perform better, didn't want anything to do with it. I had no problem hanging out at, you know, at the bars or anything like that, but you'll just catch me with the water or a Red Bull or a Mountain Dew. Um, okay. That, so you were, you were strictly, strictly disciplined. Okay. Yeah. So, and a lot of that was, you know, there's religious beliefs, but also I, if it wasn't, like I was saying, if it wasn't going to help me perform, I didn't want anything to do with it. And a lot of times I'd be, you know, the one making sure everyone made it back to the hotel and <laughs> in one piece. And that it was always a crazy experience with that. Because, yeah, you're, like you're saying in Australia, I think I'm trying to remember if I was 18. I think I was only 17. But, yeah, I had some experiences there. Right. So what were, so obviously you've done it for four years. You've been a lot of places doing it. What were, what were some of the highlights? What are some of the things that when people are like, I don't know, friends or family or people you meet out or like tell us about Nitro Circus, what happened? Like, what are, what are the standout memories for you? What are the things that just instantly spring to mind? Um, I, I always think about, you know, the, the people in the show and just the lasting relationships I have now. I've, I, you know, have done stuff outside of Nitro Circus with them and I hang out with some of them as often as, you know, it's available. 
And then I think about the show itself. There's nothing, there's no other show that I've ever been a part of and been to even as a viewer that creates that type of environment. It was absolutely insane that being able to do a trick and then have 30,000 people screaming at you, it was unreal. I just like the sensation, the feeling that um, the adrenaline through the roof. Uh, right. It was, it was amazing. And yeah, a lot of times indescribable and it was able to help me, you know, perform to a whole nother level. Then obviously the other experiences with seeing all the, the cities and um, being able to hang out with the locals. It was an awesome time that I got to experience so many different things from really awesome scenarios, seeing cool history which some that I've always liked and being in some really sketchy parts of the city and, you know, <laughs> having some weird things go down. Uh, that, that those are some of my, my highlights and things that really come to mind. Okay. Plus you must've got some VIP treatment at certain places because Nitro Circus is a big deal. And when it comes to town, depending on what the city is, it pretty much takes over. So there must've been some, there, there must've been some experiences you wouldn't have got to have, in any oh, other facet of life? 100%. Um, if you go anywhere with Travis Pastrana, you, you like, whatever you guys want to do, have at it. Like, you know how there's restrictions that, whether it be, you know, it's as silly as like a go-karting facility or like trampoline park, whatever it may be. If you're with Travis Pastrana or the Nitro Circus team, do whatever you guys want. Like, yeah, just post on social media for us that you're here. Um, simple things like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Was, that. It was did really you, cool. Did man. you have any like special like? Wow, I can't believe I'm getting to do this right now. Oh, um, that first tour, uh, they were still filming the TV show, and we weren't on every single. Um, like I wasn't on every single shot, but a lot of the B-roll and a lot of the events that we do, like silly things from, you know, I remember we were at the skate park and they were playing i don't know if you remember or if you've seen those like inflatable ball things that people can get in oh yeah on like zorb balls zorbs yeah so they had a whole bunch of that in the skate park and we were just doing stupid stuff but things like that like that normally doesn't happen um but being on the tv show we were able to go to certain places and do certain things like that i'm trying to think of anything um like way out of the ordinary nothing's really come to mind but you know, we go to restaurants and they'd be like, oh, don't worry, it's it's on us, you know. Uh, and nice. it, a lot of times, you know, it, just like anything, trade. Um, they able you know, give yeah. some tickets away to some people. And that was always really fun if you can give someone a ticket that really, if they recognize Nitro. And that's one thing is like, if you know, you know. And then you get super hyped about it. Like, no way. You guys are here in town? And we're like, yeah, you want to go? And they're like, yeah of course <laughs> so that was cool that happened a few times nice what was it like standing because you know you've obviously competed for like most of your life and skate competitions and stuff yeah. like that and that's you know i used to compete in the 90s when i was a kid and that was terrifying to me i was like i'm gonna vomit i'm gonna be they call your name and i'd be like i'm going to be sick right now <laughs> but it, that's different like that was just in front of like 
a couple of hundred people or a few hundred people because Bladen was relatively big in the 90s. Well, still big yeah. in the late 90s. But skating in front of tens of thousands of people or standing at the top of that ramp, what was going through your mind? Are you like, oh no, please don't choke. Please don't like, I did or like, what was, what was your thought process standing at the top? Um, I feel like it, you know, it, it's situational, just like anything in life. It, everyone has, uh, some people are super superstitious. They have their routines that they do before. Um, and I'd say I have a few things, you know, to try and men- mentally prepare yourself. Well, myself. And there's, the whole practice element, you know, you obviously you practice your show tricks and you nail down things. There was, that was a really cool thing. That's so different about nitro was a lot of times, if you wanted to throw a trick that wasn't a part of the show itself and like something new, you could do it. You just be like, Hey, I'm going to go toss this trick. Um, and that was really fun. But that feeling on being on top of the ramp, it's, it's like this, it's like this in between for me from like being scared to being so um, curious and excited about what's going to happen that what, once you've made the decision to go down, it's the, the feeling goes away of, oh crap, like that I, I should have been doing this and this and whatever. That, that should already in my mind have been thought through and done in my head. Um, that way I was just focused on the trick itself. There was definitely times, you know, you get like kind of freaked out about something or what, what it might be the weather. Cause that always had a huge factor with the ramp and whether you're going to make it or not. <laughs> that, that, oh, oh, that, that, and, that small, that small element of whether you're going to make it to the other side of the ramp or not. I didn't, I didn't, think, didn't think athletes even cared about that. I mean, you know, was, that well, <laughs> If, if you're in an outdoor arena <laughs> and you, you have a 40 foot gap and yeah. you have a headwind or a tailwind that affects every trick that you do. Oh, I can imagine. If it's colder outside, your bearings don't um, spin as fast. You, you don't go as fast. I mean, that it's probably, you might probably already know that. Uh, so that there's all those simple elements that you don't really think about when you go to the skate park a lot of times. But when you're hitting this massive ramp, it's yeah. a huge factor. I, um, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time I was good. There, there was one time that, you know, I miscalculated. It took me out for like six months. Uh, so simple things like that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's rough. Okay. Um, I, I hope that, does that answer the question about, you know, the mindset and how, yeah, how I no, felt? I think yeah. it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously a video online of you landing the 1620. You landed it a couple of years before at Woodward, though, right? Or two or three years yeah. before at Woodward. Um, is that the biggest? Oh, 16. Six, huh? is, that what, is that what I said? 1620? I can't remember. Um, Wait, no, I was saying I was 16. So it was oh, like you were 16, before yeah. I got a night show. Yeah. Is that the biggest spin that's been done on Blades? Yeah. Even today? yeah <laughs> okay that's because obviously but, we're talking about skiing and when i was watching the skiing i was like wow they do even bigger spins than us this is insane um yeah okay and you also did what was the oh, there was a massive bio you did as well the uh, bio 12 uh, you you would know i would it, not it'd be know. like a bio bio 1260 bio 1260 um, yeah yeah it, it different attempts sometimes it was more front flip sometimes it was more bio just you know 
however the toss went, you know. Okay, I would not. Yeah, yeah. even if <laughs> seeing it, I'm like, I'm not even going to try and count that. Like, you, you body just turns sideways and just starts, yeah, violently spinning. Yeah. So, yeah, it's impossible. And yeah, to it depends tracking. if I can get the grab in too. You know, like I, I was always trying to get the grabs in, and so you know, but if you're trying to reach for the grab, it sometimes it throws you more sideways than more flip things like that. Okay, I, yeah. I would think we think most people are just trying to get round and survive. But okay, if you yeah. if you want to go for the grab. <laughs> Be, be my guest got got to um, um did you yeah, ever, I, oh sorry what, you were gonna, what, was what were you gonna say no i'm i'm pretty i can't remember his name um it's this young rollerblader in brazil i saw he oh, did Dan, uh, daniel daniel Sena or Sanilo Sanilo maybe i think that might be his name i don't know his last name yeah incredible he, he loves i love watching yeah. yeah the kid can spin and um, but I saw he did like a, a fly out from a quarter pipe onto the deck of a ramp. He did like a 1620. I was like, sick, man. Someone else is doing it. And I hope, I hope we get to the 2160. You know, that would be insane into the 2000s. That would be crazy. That, yeah, that definitely would be. Um, yeah, I've always kind of wondered at him because you see, again, he's someone like you that started very, very young and obviously showed promise at a young age. And you just kind of think, God, is he just going to be, is he going to not have the opportunities because he's out in Brazil and he doesn't and things like that just, you know, it's harder for them to get. Like, you know, you've obviously had the chance to go to Woodward and the chance to compete at these events and, you know, get recognized. And his only recognition is essentially, you know, on social media. But unless someone comes through the city or whatever and picks him up, is he just going to be this, like, talent that gets, you know, I don't know, unfulfilled or something or not capitalized on? I, I don't really, yeah. It's an interesting one. That's a good one. point. I, I think that that's a, a really, that that could be related to any any and everything in life with, you know, there's so many talented people and all aspects have so many different um you know, focuses in life and based on your environment that dictates a lot of your life um, yeah. with social media. I mean, what we're talking about a 16 year old from Brazil right now, yeah. it, but w- 10 years ago, even it, a lot of times we, well, you know, we, we probably would have known, um, but yeah, it was maybe with YouTube and things like that, but way harder than it is nowadays. Nowadays, almost yeah. anyone can get the reach that, if you do have talent, um, it's like the whole uh, creator mindset of all these independent creators, YouTubers, influencers. They they have such a um, powerful like grasp on what is being pushed out into the world. I think he has more power now than he ever would have. This so, is true. Yeah, there's there's definitely that element of it where he can definitely get his name out there easier because, for example, even someone like Bobby Spazov, like a random guy from Israel, would not have got yeah. a pro skate for a major company, no. you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And now he's got two skates to his name. And that is because he built up this, ma- I know, obviously, he put himself out there and traveled around Europe. But initially the initial like hype around him was off the social media like viral clips that he created so he he created that buzz around himself so yeah yeah um that's the exact point right there yeah 
Um, so why why are you not with like doing the nitro circus thing anymore? Like, what made you decide to like stop doing that? Because obviously, if you did it for four years, you must have been really enjoying it. Because that's that's a long time to do oh. something that's so physically demanding. Yeah, and I so the across that four year stint, um, I didn't go on every single tour. Just I don't know if you're catching earlier. I was saying it's like, as it any show, it's a progressive show. So if they're going there for the first time, I, I wasn't going to go because they don't want to reveal all the, this new talent that they have Yeah. until they go to the second, third, fourth, whatever, however many times. Um, so I probably did five and I was on my sixth tour until I got hurt. Um, but I had decided that I was going to go on my, my mission for my church. Right. And with that, uh, I had to let them know I'm, I'm leaving. And so it's pretty much saying like, I'm, I, I get that I might never be a part of Nitro Circus again, but I absolutely love the opportunity. It was life changing for me. And I, when I came back, I still have all the connections and was able to, you know, talk with them. And they, they were talking about doing a tour in that 2019, 2020 area, but COVID shut down all events, you know, um, but this last year they, they started doing some more tours, but the team itself is, um, a lot smaller. There's not as many athletes that are traveling and, you know, there's different objectives with every tour and right. having me as a rollerblader on that was not the objective. And I'm okay with that. Um, and what, whether I do nitro circus again, uh, you know, that's another conversation. Um, yeah. I'm open to it, but. If it never happens again, I'm totally cool with it. I had an yeah, amazing time. Yeah, he still had that you amazing know? experience. Because yeah, Chris isn't Chris isn't doing it as an athlete anymore, is he? He's like doing a different no. job for the company. Is that right? Yeah, and I'm trying. I don't know if he's still helping man. He was like an athlete manager um, for a little bit and was helping run the shows. And I can't tell you how much time he's doing that. I think a year or two. Um, I might be way off. But it wasn't too much longer after he was done performing. And then I know it seems, I think he's got another gig rolling right now. I mean, he's down in Australia. He's yeah. got his I think he's two kids now. He's and got two so kids now. I thought he just had yeah. a son. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He's um, getting busy. All right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's got, I'm pretty sure they just had a girl. Um, but yeah. So he's, he's doing dad life, family life down there. Yeah. Yeah, that that'll take up a lot of time. Um, yeah. So, razors must have been kicking themselves if, like, you quit and then were, you weren't wearing razors when you were on Nitro Circus, were you? The first tour I did, um, right. but at the end of the tour, I ah, oh, I'm I'm sad I can't remember his name. It was the last shows in Warsaw, Poland. That. Um, a rep from USD, they were able to get me some USD skates and I didn't skate in that show because going from razors and just the different like heel lift and whatnot into straight into carbons, I needed to get used to them. But every tour after that, I was skating USDs. Right. Um, would it be, yeah, Pio- no, I- Pio- would it have been, was it one of the riders, Piotr maybe from, cause he's, he's one of the Polish <sighs> USD riders, Piotr. Oh, Oh, I'm going to butcher a second name. I'm not even going to try. If it, I mean, it would have been 
I was 16. So this is almost, this is like oh, nine years ago. Yeah. 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 So I don't, I, I, no, I forget can't that. remember, but I'm, um, I'm super grateful. Whoever it was, it was, it was so funny. I had to like run outside of the stadium and it was freezing cold. And then like through the fence, they like the security guards weren't letting anybody come in yet. And he hands me a box. It looks so sketchy. <laughs> like, it was, it was awesome. Security guards like, what the hell are they He's doing? Like, what drugs is this guy? Like, pulling into the stadium right now <laughs> if it's in a box that big he must think you've got an industrial quantity sized issue yeah <laughs> like that guy's that guy just got a massive box of something yeah yeah um yeah that has been wild so now it's yeah the, the, i guess i'll say one thing about the razors thing is i i loved um uh, jeff Akers was always great to me and the razors team all the riders at the time and were awesome um me and Andy just had some disagreements and said in a roundabout way that I should use my talents elsewhere, maybe not in rollerblading. Pretty much told me to quit rollerblading. And I said, yeah, no, that's not happening. That seems to be quite a common. So, yeah, I'm assuming you've never watched any of these episodes, but we've had a lot of former Razors writers on. I've watched a few. Okay. And yeah, I'm kind of surprised by the amount of times Andy will like bump someone up and then give them a reality check. So like he'll make someone pro and then be like, you're never getting a pro skate or you're not pro skate material. And you're like, then why did you make them pro? <laughs> you're sending yeah. a really mixed message. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, to his point in, in our conversation and things like that, he obviously has an outlook for the business itself. And I, I'm sure I hope he had my best interest, but obviously he's, you know, he was, you know, the Razors team owner, but I did not need to respect his decision on anything or what he was saying. So for me, I said, yeah, you know, you can continue doing what you're doing. I'm going to keep pursuing this dream that I've had since I was five. So thanks. I mean, you were proved right because if someone from Nitro Circus can see your talent and be like, we need this kid, we need to take this kid around the world, then they obviously see something and let's be honest they've got a better view of extreme sports than just the rollerblading industry because the rollerblading industry yeah. is pretty small in comparison to like action sports as a whole so yeah um you were also on another brand for a while for like what felt like no oh, time reverse, at all. reverse. Oh, yeah. yeah what happened oh uh, man ah uh, that's such a sad story because uh, so it was right was, i was Damien Wilson was involved or he was another writer or something. Was that right? I, I you know what? Damien Wilson was involved at the beginning. I don't know if I know because he Damien Wilson was writing shadows for a while, you know, yeah. but then it, the skate was the, the, the objective of reverse was to, it, it was cool tech for, you know, it, it's very similar to a shadow looking boot. It, they used the technology from a snowboard company called flow or similar to flow to build like this binding to snowboard binding. And then instead of the bolts being bottom mounted for your frames, they're top mounted. So you can easily interchange, you know, a quad frame, ice skating frame, uh, aggressive frame. Yeah. I remember that. Cause and it the, had like all these, yeah, it had all the, these different functions, which, yeah. Yeah. And so the purpose was, um, I don't know what it's like in UK, but there or in Europe, but, there's all these roller rinks across the U.S. and ice skating rinks, um, and yeah, it, yeah we've, it's got, kind we've, of, got, we've got quite a big like quad scene okay. here, and yeah, okay. 
so the the environment is you know a lot of birthday parties and different things like that happen but they have all these rental skates for people to use which it's just like going and getting bowling shoes you know they smell they stink they they honestly are very uncomfortable so for people to have a good time if you can just put your shoes in and then go out and skate do your ice skating whatever you're there for it's a you know a better experience that was the objective and then um their first skate that i the only skate that i ever skated was not it didn't have any backside groove it was not made for aggressive at all um but i was helping them develop their second iteration that would that did have a backside groove and was you know way more durable but how it all happened um because i loved skating my usd they're still the best skates i've ever skated and that's you know that's why i'm back on usd now um but uh reverse owner reached out to me and i think it was a blading cup and he was just asking for my help and at first i was like i have a great thing going i'm about to go on a mission you know in a little you know six months to a year and i'm gonna be gone so i, I don't know how much of value i'll be to your brand and he's like no like let's just do this thing totally sold me on the opportunity um my, I just said my connection's unstable. Are you, are you catching no, no, everything? I can, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, so, sold me on the opportunity, and I got burnt. Um, I didn't make any money off of it, and I didn't, you know, um, the the goal that was set in mind was not reached at all, unfortunately. And on my mission, he told me he was going to update me with how the company was going. When I get no updates were received. Um, and so I get home, I reached out to him, nothing. And I remember blading cup, you know, of 2019 or no, even 2019. Um, I remember I saw him there. And so we had a good conversation and totally caught me up on what happened. A lot of things just with the simple business things, investors fell through, no money, nothing's going to happen. So yeah, because the dream well, fell. There was rumors floating around that he somehow got ripped off or something like that, or something led. Could no no skate did any skates ever actually like reach shops? I don't know if they reached. They had a a warehouse internally, and they were selling themselves. Like they would do, they would go have a booth at a rent uh, a roller rink or an ice rink, and they would sell ah, the right, skates okay. there and or to the rinks themselves. But I don't know if they sold more than 500 skates if that um okay yeah so were, were any I other skaters like involved because i know like i remember damien wilson was wearing reverse t-shirts for a little while and then obviously damien stopped skating and kind of disappeared you were you yeah. were like, the only person i knew that was uh, associated with the brand uh me and oh my i believe uh you know tree tree rudolph yeah i believe he was skating him for a good a little bit of time and then i don't know what happened there but uh yeah there wasn't many of us that were pushing to ride those skates and honestly they, they the skates themselves um that's the nicest way i could say this <laughs> they're they functional that's, that's so yeah okay it, it was it was hard it was hard to, it made skating and doing like mainly for grinds you know it made it really hard yeah um so but I still skated them, and yeah, it was, it was crazy. 
yeah we've all skated skates like that as i get older yeah. I'll, I'll try a new like a different brand or whatever or try something but like, oh, i'll give this you know I'll, I'll be adventurous i'll step outside my comfort zone you try it for like an hour and you're like no this is totally ruining my enjoyment of this this is supposed to be pleasant i'm not doing this yes yeah and i was i totally sacrificed the element of being able because i was i felt right before i left i was skating you know at a pretty decent level in my usds and i was loving it man i every time i skated i was learning new things and um really progressing a lot and then with that it kind of i didn't digress but it was harder to progress in those yeah. skates themselves okay so like you've obviously had like your world first things did any of those ever get like registered with guinness book of records or anything like that did you ever like try to go down that route or were you just happy enough to have landed um, it and be like no nope, that's that's mine i'm claiming that I, I know. I'm trying. I want to th- say that for the 1620, there was like, I don't know if it was nitro. I remember being seeing seeing emails for it or something along those lines, but nothing. I don't have a plaque for all the, right. the world's largest spin. So, I mean, it's on YouTube, and I was first person to do it. But exactly, um, plaque the, show the evidence it. is there. That's all you need. Yeah. Um. If, if, do you have any other like goals or anything like that that you want to achieve in blading? Like obviously there was those two tricks that you've done, well, amongst count, countless others and like winning comps and stuff like that. But is there yeah. anything else? Like, do you have a checklist that you wanna you wanna like cross off? Oh man, there's there's so many tricks. Um, I've tried not even just and, tricks. I mean, like tricks but, and but yeah, and other I, stuff. Yeah, there's tricks. There's um, you know the competition objectives and things like that but that it this is honestly good this has been a question um, i've had for myself a lot and i feel it's always evolving i mean there's there's a video of me when i was like I don't know, eight or nine years old and i was like i want to be the best skater in the world <laughs> and obviously that's a dream for everybody but that that term is relative to the skater um yeah. And, yeah, you know, there's no, well, first off, there's no such thing because everyone's exactly. definition of what the best skater is, is completely different. Yeah. Um, so for myself, uh, my goal is to be the best skater I can be, but I, I, am evolving more into inspiring other people to hope, you know, if it's rollerblading, awesome. I want everyone to rollerblade, but just going down the skate park, inspiring people to do new tricks and to push themselves in a healthy way. Um, and whether that's at a competition, like at King of the North, when I absolutely just tossed myself, um, I, my mindset there was, I, I want, you know, the, the event was awesome. Um, and the skating was next level. I love skating with everybody there. And I was like, I'm just going to, you know, put on a show, do the best things I can, but more than anything, just put on a show. And a lot of that is things I learned from Nitro Circus and other show teams I was with. Um, but yeah, that, I feel the objective is uh, always evolving. And I love, on the competition side, I love to compete. Um, that There's just something about it. It just pushes me to do tricks that I would never do in a normal session. Um, and so I, that factor, I always love to be able to be there and do crazy tricks with people. Yeah. Okay. Right, I've got one last question, and then I'll let you go because I've taken up over an hour of your time. I feel like no, I already, I, I feel like I'll know a couple of these, but who who would you like describe as your biggest blading influences? Like, even I don't know from being a kid, because 
I, I kind of feel like the blading communities watched you grow up because we've seen you from being like this tiny little kid skating, you know, your skate park and your back garden yeah. to being at Woodward with like braces and stuff to then obviously being a fully grown adult now, like yeah. traveling, you know, the world with Nitro Circus. So like when, when you started or in your most inf- like informative years as, as a like young skater, who were you like, oh God, like if I can be as good as them or like I, I want to be able to do the stuff they can do? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot, but I would say uh, Cameron Card was always a huge influence and even I was able to build a really personal relationship with him almost as if an older brother for a long, you know, for a while. And then um, he's still such an awesome influence for me. Chris Haffey, obviously, is, you know, a huge one for me. Uh, Brian Aragon was always awesome. And I thought Aragon would make the team. list. Yeah, and I was able to, you know, um, with when I was on Razor's team filming for the video, being with him and seeing how he, you know, trained and went out and skated, it was, it was inspiring. Um, there, there's a lot of people, I mean, uh, uh, someone I grew up with skating a lot um, is Kevin LeBron. He was, you know, always awesome to be with and skate with. But you know, th- those some of those skaters. Jeff Stockwell was always I. I uh, miss his skating, man. I really do. Uh, Surprised by that, I didn't. Jeff Stockwell's at left field. I didn't I didn't see him as one of your big influences. Jeff still. Jeff is still killing it. Have you not seen the? Have you seen um oh god what's it called Sunday brunch the Sunday brunch videos he's he's still just he goes out every Sunday and they all just skate concrete parks in California and he is still killing it yeah I I just haven't been with him and skating with him in a right, while okay. and I, I don't I never had you know a great relationship with Jeff I never I was so the age gap and just it was only contest but man just his style of skating being able his lines. Um, that's one of my favorite things is, and that's something I pulled from, you know, a lot of from BMXers is the, how you look at a skate park and the, you know, the way that you, your perspective is just skating was always very different from a lot of people. And, yeah. um, I didn't try and copy that, but it was, it was definitely a huge inspiration. Yeah. Um, he had this just under, it didn't, it seemed to not matter whether it was street or park. He seemed to skate street like it was a transitioned park like you were like how is he just moving so fluidly between everything yeah yeah i I love i love that about jeff skating as well okay um any like any others that people might be surprised by i i cannot i I knew aragon was going to be one that i I don't know just it seemed like everyone around that that era that skated razors had had aragon like right up there yeah um I mean, growing up in near Philly, there was always, you know, um, I had Chris Majet and Adam Kilgore, and they, they were huge influences on my life, and everyone a part of the, you know, the denial team then. There was, you know, a lot of good skaters. Um, yeah. You had, you know, Murda, you had, you know, the Kelso brothers, you had um, Chris Cheshire, um, John, well, John Bellino now, you know, like, John, I John. With yep. John. And oh, you were John, you were gonna John. say John yeah. John. You can say I it. was gonna say John John. Yeah. Um but John John and Montre as well, huge influences on on the skating. Yeah. Yeah, because the, And there's the, so many, there's so many people that have influenced me in a great way. And 
I know, you know, hope they don't feel bad for leaving out, but those, those come to mind initially. Oh, that makes sense. Um, I've taken up enough of your time this morning. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day and get back to your, your daddy duties. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that'll be a steep learning curve, but I'm, I'm sure you'll be all right. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to do this today. And yeah, it's been very, there was, yeah, so many interesting stories. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity and it was fun. Let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Right. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah, cheers. All right. See you, David. Bye.